Stronger Than My Darkest Night. We're in a sermon series called Who is Jesus? We've been looking at the I Am statements that Jesus made in the Gospel of John where he tells us who he is. And we've seen that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And today we're going to look at where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. About 20 times in the Gospel of John, we encounter the concept of light versus darkness. And Jesus is the light. And so today I'm going to focus on one of the times when Jesus says he's the light of the world. It happens in John chapter 9. And the statement is set in the story of Jesus healing a blind man. Because one of the purposes of light is so that we can see. And specifically so we can see spiritually. And Jesus heals a man who's been blind. Man has been blind since birth. It's interesting as you read through John chapter 9, if you look at the chapter carefully, everybody in this chapter is blind spiritually. The disciples are blind, the man's parents are blind, the Pharisees are blind, the crowd is blind. Everybody is spiritually blind as a bat. In fact, the only guy who can see in this chapter spiritually is the blind guy. Now, we all struggle with seeing spiritually. And the reason Jesus had to come into the world as the light of the world is because we're all stumbling around in the dark, spiritually blind. Now, in this chapter, John uh, chapter 9, we see four things that keep us from seeing spiritually, and we see four things that enable us to see spiritually. So four that keep us from seeing, four that enable us to see, and these two sets of four things, they're kind of intermingled in the story. So on your outline, the numbering may seem a little odd to you, but I hope as we work our way through here that it'll make sense. But it starts in verse 1 of chapter 9. Jesus and his disciples are walking along, and they see a man who has been blind since birth, and the disciples have a question. Uh, they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And by asking this question, the disciples demonstrate their spiritual blindness. Because the disciples look at this man, and they saw him as a theological case study. They didn't have any compassion on him and for his predicament. They saw him as an object of theological discussion, more as an opportunity for healing or ministry. But that's not how Jesus saw this man. Jesus saw this man in a different way. And, we, and throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus meeting people and he sees their need. And all through the Gospel of John, we have these huge crowds, we have these multitudes. But Jesus keeps seeing individuals and he sees their need. You know, there are a lot of people in the world, and you may be wondering, you know, sometimes, does God even notice me in the multitudes that are out here? And the answer is yes. Because Jesus always noticed the individual. He saw the person. He saw their need. And that's what happens in this situation. But one of the things that kept the disciples from seeing, and one of the things that keeps us from seeing spiritually, is either-or thinking. You know, for the disciples, it was either-or. Whose sin is it? either the man or his parents. You know, they're thinking either this little baby in the womb sinned so the guy was born blind, or the parents sinned so horribly that God struck their baby in the womb blind. Either or. It's got to be one or the other. Jesus answers, neither. 
Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Jesus said it's not either or, it's neither. It's so God could be displayed. And many times in our life, we narrow our thinking to only one or two options, either or. Either I have to take this job that I hate or be unemployed. Either I have to move in with my boyfriend or be lonely the rest of my life. Either I have to go into debt for this car or walk. Either or, one or the other. And we put ourselves in these either or situations and we can't see God's will. Because God's will may be neither. God's will may be a third option. God may be saying, I don't want you to take that job you hate or be unemployed. I want you to move to a totally different location and work in a totally different place. You know, you don't have to get married or be lonely. Maybe God wants you to use your singleness in a way that you never imagined. Sometimes God has a third option. And we've got to get past the spiritual blindness of either or thinking and open our minds up to something new that God can do. Pharisees were experts at either or thinking. They'd come to Jesus and they'd say, you know, we have this coin. Well, who should we give this coin to? God or Caesar? And Jesus said, render unto God what's God's and give to Caesar what's Caesar's. They came to Jesus and said, there's this woman who's been married to several men on earth. When she gets to heaven, who's she going to be married to? And Jesus says, there's no marriage in heaven. I mean, it's a whole new option that they hadn't even thought of. And when we get in this trap of either or thinking, you, and oftentimes neither option is God's will. Neither one of them is what we need. And we need to step back and say, God, what's your third option? Because in this case, the third option was something very wonderful. Why is this man sick? Either or. No, no, no. Neither. It's so that the work of God may be displayed in his life. And God allows Jesus to work a miracle in this man's life so that 2,000 years later, you and I can see the character of Jesus Christ. That he's the one who can bring light into our lives when nobody else can. John chapter 9 is about how God's light, Jesus Christ, breaks through and helps us to see what we've never seen before. Verses 6 and 7, having said this, Jesus spit on the ground and he made some mud with his saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went, and he washed, and he came home seeing. I just love that sentence. I mean, it's a simple sentence. He went, and he washed, and he came home seeing. Blind from birth, and he sees for the first time. I mean, it's an incredible miracle, and this incredible miracle can help you and me to see spiritually. When Jesus heals this man, it helps us see. The first thing that enables us to see spiritually is when we choose to obey Jesus in the ordinary we obey Jesus in the ordinary things of life. Jesus takes some spit and some, and some dirt and he makes mud and he puts it on the man's eyes and he tells the man to take his muddy eyes down to the pool that's called Siloam and wash them. He tells the man, go wash the dirt off your face. It's a physical event with a spiritual meaning that has eternal ramifications. And the rest of this chapter, we're going to see this man on a journey to not only physical sight, but spiritual insight for the first time in his life. 
And the rest of this chapter, as this man walks through in obedience and goes around one obstacle right after another, at the end of the chapter, he's going to see the light of the world. He's going to see Jesus Christ. But it starts when the man obediently does what Jesus tells him to do. And I just asked you the question, would you have done that? I mean, think about this for a moment. You, you meet some guy that you don't really know. You're blind, you can't even see what he looks like. The stranger spits on the ground, makes mud, rubs it on your eyes, tells you to walk across town to a pool and wash your eyes, and then you'll be able to see. I mean, do you think he had the opportunity for a lot of doubt as he's walking across town to go to that pool? You know, what would have gone through your mind? This will never work. I mean, I've tried this a hundred times before. How many times do you suppose this guy had washed his eyes hoping he could see? How many times do you suppose this guy had been to healing pools hoping they would help him regain his sight? None of them. None of them had ever worked. And he must have thought as he's walking through the city, I, I look like a fool with this mud and gook on my face. And wouldn't he have been tempted to wipe it off? But he waited until he got to the pool. He obeyed Jesus Christ in the ordinary. Would you have done that? You know, that's where miracles always start, when we obey Jesus Christ in the ordinary things in life. The greatest miracles in the Bible started with something ordinary. You know, Jesus says to servants, fill up some clay pots with water. It's a pretty ordinary act until the water turns into wine. Jesus raises Lazarus. He says, roll the stone away. That's a very ordinary act until the guy's raised from the dead. He gives his disciples some loaves and fish, very ordinary boys' lunch until it's passed out and feeds 5,000 people. Jesus tells his disciples to fish on the other side of the boat. Very ordinary act until they catch so many fish, their nets start to break. I mean, that's how spiritual insight happens in our lives. God starts with something ordinary, ordinary obedience. Obedience is just a tangible, physical way of saying we are depending on God. I'm depending on God through an act of ordinary obedience. And when you obey in that way, because you intellectually know that what I'm doing is not enough to make this miracle happen. I mean, God, you haven't asked me to do enough to make this happen. Filling pots with water, rolling away a stone, fishing on the other side of the boat, passing out a boy's lunch, washing mud off my face. I'm not doing enough. But the issue is never how much you're doing. The issue is obedience. The issue is, am I trusting in Christ, not in myself? And when this man obeyed in the ordinary, he came back seeing now, I don't know what the ordinary start is for you. It may be an ordinary quiet time. It may be an ordinary prayer together with your spouse. It may be an ordinary tithe or establishing an ordinary budget. It may be an ordinary exercise program. It may be an ordinary phone call. But that ordinary step of faith unlocks the miraculous in your life. Obey Him in the ordinary because that's where it starts. Now, two cautions about this. First, don't confuse methods with miracles. And the man could have started thinking it was the mud that did the miracle. You know, he could have started a here's mud in your eye ministry, and it's all about the mud. 
But the truth is, Jesus healed several blind people, and he did not use the same method each time because it's not about the method, it's about the miracle. And God uses different methods in each of our lives. That's where the power is. It's in Jesus Christ, not in the method. Second caution, don't mistake your participation for God's power. I mean, this guy could have said, uh, I walked down to the pool. I washed my eyes. The disciples could have said, we passed out the fish. But obviously, God is the one who deserves the credit. So be careful. So the man comes back seeing. For the first time in his life, this man sees the faces behind the voices that he's always heard. For the first time in his life, this man sees the corner where he sat and begged. Man sees the plants and trees and the buildings that are around him. For the first time, he sees. And what's the reaction of the crowd? John 9, 8, it says, His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he just looks like him. It can't be him. He himself insisted, I'm the man. How are your eyes open then, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus. He made some mud, he put it on my eyes, told me to go to the Siloam and wash, and when I washed, I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. And this is kind of a strange reaction to somebody who suddenly has their sight restored. I mean, this sounds more like an inquisition than a celebration. They just couldn't believe it. And that's the second thing that keeps us from seeing. Doubt. They couldn't believe that it had happened because it had never happened before. They'd never known anyone who was born blind, who had their sight restored. They let their past experience determine what was possible. And sometimes we live in the dark because we've convinced ourselves that the light is impossible. But it's not. Jesus is the light of the world. I mean, is reconciliation in your marriage possible? Yes. Nothing's impossible with God. You know, is it possible that the God who created everything could personally love and care for you? Yes. Is forgiveness possible? Yes. Freedom from guilt possible? Yes. A real sense of purpose and significance in your life possible? Yes. Those things are possible because Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Don't let your past blind you to the possibilities of what God can do in your life. Because it's possible. And as you look at this crowd, you can see one of the things that often fills us with doubt. We're filled with doubt when we use questions in the wrong way. You know, God wants us to ask questions so we can learn from Him and learn about Him. It's okay to ask questions to learn, but they weren't asking questions to learn. They were using questions. They were using questions to gossip. They were using questions to demand. They were using questions to doubt. They were using questions to stall their response. And every one of us in this room has used questions in the same way. We've all asked questions where we're not really looking for answers. You know, we ask questions and then we don't even wait for the answers. But if you want to overcome your doubt, then you've got to keep asking questions, but you've got to start listening for the answers. You know, the crowd did the first part. They asked the questions, but they didn't do the second part. They didn't wait for the answer. Third thing that keeps us from seeing are man-made rules. John chapter 9 introduces us to a a third group who's having trouble with this miracle, and that's the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the kings of man-made rules. 
It says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. The day that Jesus had made mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath day. And so they could not believe this man's stories. They couldn't believe blind from birth, now he sees, because it happened on the Sabbath. Jesus broke their man-made rules. He broke the rules in three specific ways. First, when Christ spit on the ground, he broke one of the rules. I mean, it would have been okay for him to spit on a rock. Spitting on a rock wasn't work. But when you spit on the ground, it made mud, and that was work, according to the Pharisees. See how ridiculous these man-made rules are? So on a Sabbath day, if you spit on the ground, you work. Jesus broke their rules. Second, Jesus broke the rules when he took spit and put it on the man's eyes. He used spit as a healing agent, and they had expressly written rules against that. You know, one of their man-made rules was that spit was unclean. You don't spit on a person. Now, personally, I get that rule, okay? In fact, that's one of my man-made rules. No spitting, okay? But number three, they were upset because the man was healed. Because that broke a third rule. They'd made a rule that you couldn't heal on the Sabbath. You know, the Pharisees had people so afraid of breaking rules that the Sabbath had become a funeral rather than a festival. They had just sucked all the joy out of it with their rules. They had people afraid of everything. People were afraid to go for a walk, afraid they'd walk too far and break a Sabbath rule. People were afraid to talk to anyone, afraid the conversation would turn to business and they would break a Sabbath rule. People were afraid to help or heal anyone. They're so burdened down with these man-made rules they couldn't even function. That's how bad things had gotten. And their fear destroyed the worship and the celebration of God. It blinded them to the goodness and compassion, even the miracles of God. A man could walk for the first time, and all the Pharisees could see is a guy carrying his mat. A guy could see for the first time, and all the Pharisees could see is Jesus made mud on the Sabbath. Their man-made rules had blinded them spiritually. You know, they couldn't accept Jesus and what he was doing because it would mean admitting that they were wrong. Now, isn't that true for all of us? I mean, we'll go through days of arguments or stone-cold silence to avoid admitting, I was wrong. We'll get fired from our job before we'll admit, I was wrong, I made a mistake. We'll buy stuff we don't like with money we don't have to avoid admitting, uh, I was wrong, I really can't afford this. Families disintegrate, companies fail, lives are in darkness because we won't admit, I was wrong. Why settle for darkness just because you can't admit that you need some light? Maybe those three words, I was wrong, those may be the three words that you need to say to allow the flood of light from the Lord to come into your life. And maybe you need to say it to the Lord, maybe you need to say it to one of your kids, maybe you need to say it to your spouse or a friend. I was wrong. Because our man-made rules can keep us from seeing spiritually. Fourth thing that keeps us from seeing is fear. Man's own parents faced this. The, the Pharisees just couldn't believe that this man had been blind from birth, so they called in his parents. Verse 18, it said, they called him in, they said, Is this your son? Is this the one who was born blind? How is it that he can now see? Parents said, We know that he's our son, and we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. He's of age. 
ask him. He'll speak for himself. Now, in, in verse 22, John tells us why they said that. He said, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. Because already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. And see, that tells us that they knew who did it. His parents had a chance to give Jesus Christ the credit, to give him the glory, the one who had healed their son who had blind from birth. They knew Jesus had done it, but their fear kept them from giving Jesus the credit. Now, before we judge them too harshly, let me tell you what it meant to be put out of the synagogue. First of all, it meant you lost your social security. You know, the entire welfare system of that day was built on the synagogue, and if you were put out of the synagogue, you had no security for old age. It also meant you lost business opportunities because all those business opportunities uh, were connected and flowed through the synagogue. It meant you lost the opportunity to fellowship with God's people. It meant you were publicly humiliated in front of God's people. So they had a legitimate fear, and yet all of us look at them and we wish they hadn't let their fear blind them. I mean, I wish they would have just said, Jesus is the one who healed our son. I, I wish they had not allowed their fear to diminish their testimony for Jesus Christ because I don't want my fear to diminish my testimony. Now, how do you face legitimate fear and not become spiritually blind? Simple answer. Be willing to lose it all for Jesus Christ. Because if I'm willing to lose it all for Jesus Christ, then I don't have to be afraid of anything in this world. The more I understand the reality of heaven, the more I realize that any loss in this world is only a temporary loss, the more you and I understand that, the less fear we're going to have in our lives. We've got to be willing to lose it all for the sake of Christ. And Jesus commanded us to do that. Luke 9 he says, daily, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. I mean, he commanded us to be willing to lose it all for the cause of Christ. Because he knew what that would do for us. He knew that if we did that, we would lose the fear that's been haunting us all our lives. And then I'll tell you personally, this is something that I'm growing into. I mean, at heart, you know, I'm a coward. I didn't just decide not to be afraid anymore in one day, in one sweeping moment. You know, I'm not going to care about anything in this world anymore. But I tell you, since I've come to faith in Christ over 38, 39 years, step by step, day by day, week by week, year by year, the things in this world have less power over me. And the things of Christ become more and more valuable, more and more dear to the point where I am becoming willing to lose it all for the sake of Jesus Christ. And the fear is going away. Second thing that enables us to see. See Jesus in your circumstances. See that he is the one who's done it. Not me, not the circumstances. The Pharisees brought this man in and basically put him on trial. Uh, they brought him in, they interrogated the man, they brought in the parents, they interrogated him, they brought the man back around for a second question, round of questions, and they tried to coerce him into calling Jesus a sinner. They brought him in and they said, give glory to God, call this man a sinner. And to his credit, in verse 25, the guy says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, 
I was blind, but now I see. I mean, I just love that. that I, I love, that's one of the best answers in the whole Bible. I don't know everything there is to know about Jesus Christ, but I know this. I was blind, but now I see. Where can you say in your life, once I was blind, but now I see? Where can you say, once I was dead, but now I'm alive? Once I was afraid, but now I have courage? Once I used to doubt, but now I have faith? Once I struggled, but now I have victory? Because Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Dr. Jack Cooper is an ophthalmologist. He's a surgeon, and he has the privilege of doing surgery on people who uh, the surgery often restores their sight. I mean, can you imagine doing surgery on people who, who are blind, and then you unwrap their eyes and you hear them say, I can see? I mean, what a cool job. And, and Dr. Cooper is a believer, and so he understands that there are two kinds of sight. There's physical sight and there's uh, spiritual sight. So he has an eye chart in his office where he unwraps the bandages. And he says to people, first thing they see when their sight's restored, he said, would you read that eye chart over there? And they look at the wall and they read, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Dr. Cooper, I mean, he's got an open opportunity to speak into their life. He's just given them sight. And he says, you know, there's two types of sight. There's physical sight and there's spiritual sight. And you need to believe in Jesus Christ so you can see spiritually. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you can see physically, but you haven't been able to see spiritually because you need to open your life to Jesus Christ. Third thing that enables us to see is trusting Jesus with your life. It's interesting with this man as we go through this chapter. In verse 11, he says, he's the man they call Jesus. And then later in verse 17, he says, Jesus is a prophet. And in verse 38, he says, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. This man went from seeing Jesus as a man to Jesus as a prophet to he's the Lord that he worships. Slowly, this man had been put his trust in Jesus Christ. Well, there's two parts to trust. One is enlightenment, and the other one is commitment. If you're going to place trust in something, then you need enlightenment. That's a growth in understanding. You need to see more and more clearly who Jesus is. And then the other part of trust is commitment. There's an expression of personal belief. And maybe you're here today and the enlightenment has come. You know, over time you've decided you know who Jesus is. But the commitment hasn't happened yet. The expression of personal belief in Jesus Christ hasn't happened. It's the way it was in my life. I was in church for years until the personal commitment came. I mean, I knew who Jesus was. I knew he came at Christmas. I knew he died at Easter. But I had not connected the dots to a personal expression of my belief in him. But that has to happen if you're going to see spiritually. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe this is your day. Maybe this is your time where you say, Jesus Christ, I want to commit my life to you. I don't want to just know about you. I want to believe in you so that you can see spiritually and you trust Jesus Christ with your life. Because the fourth thing that enables us to see is I must admit my need. I have to admit that I am spiritually blind before I can see spiritually. Let's pray together. 
Maybe today you'd say in your heart, you just think, Christ, I admit, without you, I am spiritually blind. I, I admit how much I need you, and like you touched that man's eyes so long ago, would you just touch my soul and help me to see spiritually? Maybe you're here today and you're wishing, begging, pleading for some insight from the Lord. You just wish you could see what it is He wants you to do next. If you could only see it, you would do it. And so just ask Him to give you that spiritual sight, help you to obey Him in some ordinary way. Or maybe you've been asking questions, but you've not been listening for the answers. Or maybe you're seeing yourself in your circumstances or your focus on the circumstances rather than on Jesus Christ. And so fear and doubt have come in so strongly that they're keeping you from seeing the truth. Open your heart and life to Christ. Admit your need. Jesus, you are the light of the world. We need you to come into our lives. Break through in our hearts and lives today so that we can see, so that we can follow. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Yeah. <laughs> 
enough when I'm singing for you, my God. I can't sing loud enough. I can't sing loud enough when I'm singing for you, my God.
seated. Again, I want to encourage you to fill out that communication card, drop it in the offering bag as it goes by. If you're visiting with us today, that's the only thing you need to drop in the offering bag. Uh, the service is our gift to you. You're not obligated to give anything. We're just glad you're here. And we thank those seated around you who give faithfully, sacrificially, as an act of worship unto God. And uh, that makes all our ministries able to happen here, their gifts. So fill that out and drop it in the card. Uh, tonight we're doing a life dates uh, for married couples. If you want to, you can stop by and pick up your tickets over there and show up at uh, 6 o'clock for dessert. And then a program at 6.30 about the I in marriage. And uh, we'll have a great time together as uh, couples as we work on our marriages. Uh, Thursday night's trunk or treat. Uh, you can decorate your trunk, come up here in the east parking lot and uh, pass out some candy to kids and have a great time. And then it's our 10th annual Lumberjack Weekend. How many of you are Lumberjacks? Any Lumberjacks in the house? There's one, two. Yeah, we got them. We got them, believe me. You don't know, but Lumberjacks are shy. And um, but we've got a bunch of them who every year, in fact, for 10 years, they've been going up to Wisconsin to a camp up there that we minister at. And they go up and do a bunch of tree falling and trimming and cut firewood and just have a great time with guys. So if you're interested in that as a guy, I mean, what's not to, not to love, uh, check that out in the uh, worship folder and get plugged into that. And with that, we stand and pray as we close here. Father, we do thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you that you are the solution to our blindness. We thank you that we don't have to live in the darkness. We don't have to stumble around. We don't have to be afraid. But Jesus Christ can come in. And help us to see spiritually. God, I would pray that would be true in each of our lives today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.